Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. I am your host, Maya Fisher-French, and this week we are talking generational wealth. So this is wealth that's passed down from one generation to the next, but ultimately it has a different context for different people. Generational wealth doesn't have to be the Oppenheimer's legacy. It could be leaving your children enough money to buy a home or access to an education that you didn't have. Today, I'm joined by Carol Mazaka, who is Consumer Director at One Life. So welcome, Carol. Um, I think my opening question to you is, how would you define generational wealth? So if I look now, so my parents were not in a position to leave me any money, but they did give me a university education. And, you know, for my husband and I, our legacy for our children, we made a decision that we would give our children the best education we could afford. And I've started a tax-free investments uh, for them, so it can give them a little bit of a kickstart in life. But I don't really have any visions of leaving them millions because I'd rather be spending them. Um, so what is generational wealth to you? What does it mean to you? Oh, Maya, thank you for having me. Um, in a nutshell, generational wealth is wealth or assets that are passed down from generation to another generation. And these successive generations generally leave this wealth or these assets to whoever is left behind. And these individuals can invest it, they can benefit from it, and they can invest it, and they can grow it and leave it to their children. So this is just an, an ongoing growing kind of pot of these assets and wealth. And it can also be defined in other terms of tangible or intangible assets in other institutions or in other schools of thought. It is said that it could be knowledge that's passed down as a legacy and that becomes generational wealth as well. I love that actually, the, the, this idea of, of knowledge being passed down. Um, and, 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 and I always think about that of my children standing on my shoulders as well. Mm. And, you know, I, I think mm. I was the first, I actually, I think I am the first person in my family to have gone to university. Um, and maybe my son will have a, a master's degree. I didn't get to master's. Um, who knows? I don't know. But I, I like that concept. Of, but I mean, I suppose if I was thinking about it, knowledge isn't even just educational knowledge, uh, formal educational knowledge. It could also be business. You could be passing down business skills or a business to, to your children. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, you've touched on a very valid point around passing down the knowledge of building businesses, because the knowledge itself speaks to the just understanding the framework of what you require to start this business. Maya, it also speaks to how do you manage the business when it's being handed down to you? And I would even go as far as to say in other uh, families, in other cultures, in other environments, it's just that whole idea of getting an individual prepared and ready to understand how the legacy of this family has been crafted over time through what? Through knowledge that has been passed down, which then equates all results into these tangible assets such as businesses as it may. Mm. And mm. You know, I think it's, we also, you know, one of the things that we're always concerned about, and I suppose when we talk generational wealth is, is maybe bigger wealth, not just handing down, you know, like a little bit of a, a kickstart. But, you know, they do say that generational wealth runs out by the third generation because sometimes when you're handed something on a silver platter um, or, you know, it, you don't, you know, look after it quite as much as when you've had to work for, for it. So how does one build that into the whole kind of generational wealth concept? 
So I think for me, that the part that is critical is education. I mean, just now we touched on the knowledge piece around it. So for me, when we educate, uh, whether it's those that we're going to leave this legacy to or just generally as South Africans, those are the core things, Maya, that we need to focus on. How do you preserve this generational wealth? How do you make it grow? How do you actually, as you benefit from it, how do you actually just really make it grow? And I think for us, it speaks to the education, education, education. So, Carol, I mean, the reason we're actually chatting to you is because, of course, One Life ran a survey, One Life Generational Wealth Survey, and it was quite interesting. I mean, unsurprisingly, 77% of South Africans don't have any generational wealth. We know that from a poverty issue. Um, and six, But I think 61% had no idea or vague idea about what it actually meant to how, about, how to go about doing it. But maybe the question before we get to that is, is this a conversation we should even be having in a country with 64% youth unemployment? Do we not have more problems about just putting food on the table today than worrying about tomorrow? So we're not blind to, the, to those realities, Maya. You're quite correct. I mean, it is rife in terms of the unemployment numbers. I just need to give you, in terms of the figures that we saw from uh, the, our respondents, it was approximately 1,600 respondents that responded to our survey. And those were within or between the ages of 25 to 34, 35. And these are what we could perhaps deem as call it our youth in this country. And, and I mean, the conversations were around that to say, we understand. We, we are also not blinded to the fact that there is poverty all around us. But that optimism level, I think it was around 91%, was one thing which came out there where they said, even though we don't know how to, or we've got a vague idea, which is that 61%, the remainder of them or the rest of them were like, we are eager. We really want to learn how to get to this generational wealth part of it. Now, corporate South Africa and government have got a, a big responsibility, not just from an opportunity creating perspective, but from an empowering and educating, not only our youth, Maya, but just the citizens of the country to be able to understand what is it that we need to do or needs to be done so that we can be able to deal, number one, these high levels of unemployment, but secondly, how do we empower this upcoming generation and basically others um, to, to create and crop this generational wealth for themselves. So in understanding the unemployment figures, quite correctly so, it is a partnership that government and corporate South Africa need to really get their heads in there to be able to make this a success and reduce those numbers significantly and rather very quickly. Mm. But I, I think what was also interesting in the survey was that, um, you know, you, you mentioned 41% have a life policy and 25% um, are looking at buying a property. And those are two interesting things. So I think certainly when I come across and I speak to my readers and followers, property is a yeah. big legacy thing. A lot of people want to leave their family, uh, their children, their property. And I've, I, I have actually done articles warning people saying just understand um, the state duties around these things. You know, property is, is a very illiquid, um, you know, asset um, and it could be capital gains, tax and all of these things. So obviously financial planning around these is very important. But this idea of a life policy. Um, so, you know, you, you know, I leave, I'm leaving a life policy so that if I pass away before my children finish in education, there'll be something for them. But, you know, there are people who, you know, you could even take over your parents' life policy, for example. I mean, how does one use a life policy to, to build wealth? So I think, let me speak around these six pillars. That, that we've kind of looked at as 
how can we aid generational wealth? And one, the first part is to your point around taking up a life cover policy, and, and we'll get into detail around that. But we also speak about investing in the child's education being another. You've now touched on the others around the business and of course the property, but you asked the question, how does one actually make use of a life policy being something that can craft generational wealth? But let's, what, where I want to start with that is we've got a platform called Truth About Money. Now on Truth About Money, it gives you different categories in terms of one, one's understanding or teaching in terms of how do you use these benefits or legacies in terms of financial um, gain to be able to create generational wealth. Now we can go all out in terms of explaining the intricacies of policies, because obviously it's based on the personal, uh, the person's state of health, et cetera, their ages and all of that. And the, the amount that you're looking for is where we are saying under truth about money, educate yourself to understand that when you start talking summer shirts, what is it? that you are wanting to cater or cover for in the events that you pass away. So you make a very valid example now. You say, look, in terms of me, if I leave this life policy, I know that I want to cater for X, Y, Z, for my family, for my children. Others could say, I want to make sure that all debt that I have is paid for. That's the least I can do in leaving a legacy so that no one has to carry that. Others could say, I want to make sure that the debt is paid, the children's school fees right up until varsity is catered for, they might just have a, a percentage of something as a kickstart. So, mm -hmm. so there's variations in terms of how one can use the benefits of a life policy in terms of building generational wealth again that depends on the individual's needs specifically. And therefore, the importance of making sure that when one takes up life cover, they know exactly their objective in terms of what it is that they want. Remember, when one takes up life cover, there's always opportunity to increase that sum assured that you would have elected or selected at the beginning. Take for an example, a person who is just perhaps single, they've got enough debt that they want to cater for, and all they're worried about is just not leaving this debt to their families. When they have a child, they might then decide and say, well, I just want to increase my summer show to make sure that my child's education is catered for, etc. So it is really a personal need, depending on the objective of that individual. But in structuring it, one needs to truly educate themselves to understand what is the key objective? Why am I taking this? What do I want it to meet at the end of uh, a turn when I do pass away and it's being left over to those individuals that I would have elected as my beneficiaries? So that would be kind of a summary for me in terms of understanding how to use or think around how to use life covers as part of creating generational wealth. And Nikara, I love the way you talk about not leaving your children or your family with debt as part of the generational wealth. And, I, you know, that is something that I think a lot of people just miss, that, that this idea that, you know, just by by not having to take on a burden, that is a gift in itself. And I, I yeah. often say this to parents uh, when it comes to, to their retirement planning. And I'm like, the biggest gift you can give your kids is to be financially independent in retirement because that can be an immense burden on children. Mm -hmm. And I see so many parents worrying about leaving their kids an inheritance, but not worrying about making sure they're not going to be reliant on their kids in retirement. It's like it's the wrong way around for me. It's like... First gift, the first gift, the biggest gift. My parents gave me two gifts. My, one was my education. The other is my mother is financially independent in retirement. And that is, I don't need more, right? I can work. Yeah. I can grow my own wealth. I can do what I need to do. But she gave me the two pillars that ensured that I am not going to be burdened. Uh, she gave me my education yeah. and then not having to, to look after her. Um, and I think those are, you know, we need to look at those as part of, of, of generational wealth and actually build on it 
rather than trying to go to the, the point of, well, how do I leave a million rand to my kids? Well, you know, if that's your focus, you know, maybe yeah. you should be looking at the other aspects as well. Very, very true. So you, you make such a, a classic example where when we've engaged or I've engaged with people generally around life policies, it's these numbers that get punted around. I want to leave them with a million. And, and then I ask, so, so that they do what with it? <laughs> so that they do what with this million? And how, how are you structuring this million for them to understand that this is a lot of money for children. You, you, if you haven't educated them, if you haven't given them a plan for them to understand what needs to happen, what then of that one million rand, right? And, and I think another discussion which becomes uh, very valid when we start talking about where to start, that one question around, do you spend and save or do you save and spend? Um, because then that leads us to kind of the idea and the discussions and the thinking around what is critical now for me in building this generational wealth. And where, where, do, we, where do I have to start my mindset? Where do I shift my mindset, Maya, to say, all right, I, I now kind of have an idea that this is what I want to do for my kids. But, but now, right now, with the income that I have, what is the behavior that I have in treating it? Spend first, save say first spend because mm -hmm. the reality is if we do not also change the mindset that the relationship with money the relationship with debt the understanding what all of this looks like as an ecosystem then we will start punting numbers around in terms of i want to leave x amount of millions to my family yet there's no plan in place to inform how that money should be spent then mm -hmm. and, and then we find ourselves with this entire gap that keeps growing around people not having enough um, in terms of their retirement or just leaving enough for their children when they pass on. And Karen, have you seen any demand from, from parents um, to leave, not a lump sum, but to actually leave a, a monthly income to their children? So, so, so could they say, I want this life cover, but rather than paying out a million, and I think it's such a brilliant point, like what is this million, what are your kids going to do with it? Um, or they would say, I'd like to just convert that into a regular income for them. Um, so that they, they either perhaps they're still young or it can just be that little bit of boost extra every month. Yeah. So what, what we would generally hear in terms of conversations with our clients, there's always the aspiration, Maya. You made a very valid point when we started this conversation. Most of us, our parents, when they left us, they did not leave us that kind of legacy. We are also grateful from the education perspective. So what we really hear is, you know, so that my child can be able to get themselves a car cash, you know, so that my child can be able to buy themselves property, cash, you, you know what I'm saying? So there's that kind of ease in terms of the freedom, that money freedom that I think a lot of parents are moving towards. From a, I would like for them to generate a monthly income or I would like the structure to give them a kind of a monthly income. That is not really what we hear predominantly. What we hear is really more the aspirational kind of give them the freedom that I probably did not enjoy um, whether my parents passed on or whether my parents are alive. And that's what we generally uh, hear. The most interesting part though, is, is the fact that the engagements that are being held include the, what do I wanna leave for my children? So, mm -hmm. so the conversations around summer shirts, remember there's also dread and disability that forms part of this whole entire engagement because we always think about death, what happens now? 
if you still if you get disabled and and your whole lifestyle needs to change so those conversations also evolve around that i don't want to burden my children so tell me how this works because i just want to make sure that it's easier for them mm -hmm. so so those holistic conversations are starting to actually rear their heads because the discussions that we have as a one-on-one -on -one with our clients is moved away purely from just here's a life cover you know go forth and conquer it's really around what is it that you are aspiring towards? What is the dream around creating this plan for yourself and your family and those that you want to leave behind? So, so the whole thing around education for me still remains key. And we do direct our clients to that because the, the truth about money program or the truth about money site gives you kind of what we would deem as basics, speak around budgeting, speak around wills, talk around how you actually restructure your debt. And, and those things my, have got to do with that part around knowledge that we touched on earlier. How do you empower yourself to be able to make the right and informed decisions? So those are kind of the themes that we start hearing with our clients when we start engaging them in terms of them taking our products with us. And, and finally, Carol, something else I picked up in the in the wealth survey was that you know you, you found that 62% believe that funeral cover does not create generational wealth, but that life cover does. And I think this is quite important because I see a lot of people taking out funeral cover, um, but not life cover. And as we know, life cover is actually a lot more cost effective than funeral yeah. cover. So how does one use those two correctly in, 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 for the for the needs based? It's exactly to your point, needs-based. It isn't defining what these products are for. So you remember I was talking about the objectives. When we have conversations, we, we have to be very clear in terms of getting or aiding or assisting our clients to understand what the one means and what is it supposed to sort or sort out or solve for. Your funeral cover is exactly that. You want to cater for the funeral costs you want to cater for the immediate costs that might be arising. And remember, I mean, we're not talking significant amounts here. So when we do engage them and we talk around what we are quoting or what they are desiring in terms of their amounts, we make it very clear for them to understand the objective of that funeral cover. Then when we engage around the life cover, very clearly there to what I've just mentioned to you, that whole comprehensive uh, discussion that's got that whole entire ecosystem around it. And, and it's, it's really just one of the steps that will really just kind of wow, this is what we need to be able to start really engaging about. I mean, you would know there's numerous situations we've read about or we've seen where people are saying I had about X or three or four funeral covers. I thought this was going to keep me for, for this period of time. Again, that level of education around understanding that if you've got X amount, 50,000 as an example of funeral cover, this will meet the needs that we're looking for as a family or for me, for this particular individual. And I know that there's debts, there's education, there's all of that that need to be catered for as well. Have you catered for that? Is there a life plan for that? And so the discussions around the one-on-one -on -one plan for you as an individual become that critical because gone are the days where it's just that many. I think it moves us back to that one million rand story and just planting the word around I'm covered because I've got a funeral cover. No, let's teach you. Let's guide you what this means because it is not what you would generally think it is, and it would not carry you through in terms of having to deal with your future goals or your future debts, etc. I think what just it, it bottom line is making sure that your money has a plan. I think to me that's what it is. It's just there's the money. What is the plan? And 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 linking yeah. the two. And I think if we all just follow those principles in life, from the way we spend our money every month to to even if we're taking out a loan to life cover. What is this money there to do? Um, so I think that's probably a very good note to, to end off. So thank you, Carol.
You've been listening to the My Money, My Life Not podcast, featuring contributors of the City Press Personal Finance.